Well, good morning, officially, church. It's always interesting. I put good morning, but I've talked to you for like 20 minutes already. But <clears throat> it's in the manuscript, so I have to read it. <clears throat> uh, we're going to continue on today in the uh, supplemental sermon series, as we've called it, on, on James chapter 3. And the title of today's sermon is, Who Can Tame the Tongue? Who Can Tame the Tongue? Very fitting title. Our Old Testament reading for today will be a selection of passages from the book of Proverbs. Um, so be ready to thumb through those real quick. I will make the reference, though. And the New Testament reading, which is our sermon text today, will be James 3, 1 through 12. James 3, 1 through 12. Let us hear now again the reading of God's most holy word. Proverbs ten nineteen, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs thirteen three, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. Proverbs 17.28 Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips. He is deemed intelligent. Proverbs 18.21 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 21.23 Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Moving now to James 3, 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among the members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things not ought be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what James has to say to us. I thank you, Lord, for the conviction that that James brings in his word. And I do pray that you would guide these words, Father. That you would guide them with precision, with tact, as they have been carefully prepared, to go and to influence the hearts of your people now. As your word is proclaimed, it is preached, Father. We pray that you would be honored and glorified. We pray that hearts and minds are open to hear the truths that James has for us, even though oftentimes these truths are very difficult ones because of how practical they are to our lives. Nonetheless, we are thankful, thankful for these words and for this time together. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Church, the God-given gift of communication is really an absolutely amazing thing. The fact that we can take abstract thoughts and concepts that we form in our minds, construct them into a sequential manner, and then use our vocal cords to make a variety of sounds and pitches, where the receiving person absorbs these wavelengths projected by our vocal cords, reassembles those neural impulses into their own minds, and then comprehends what you intended for them to comprehend, well, that's a pretty fascinating process. If you really think about it, it's quite profound exactly what communication is. As we stand here in this process, this very process is happening as I speak. I formulated thoughts in my own mind. These thoughts, many of them coming straight from the words of Scripture. And then I put these thoughts onto paper in a logical and sequential order. And I'm right now projecting these sounds and pitches from my vocal cords in hopes that, in hopes that you receive my intended message. This gift of of language and communication is actually one of the distinguishing abilities that God gave man when he originally created him in the garden. It's a very special skill that is essential to man's ability to communicate both to God and to one another. In fact, this ability to communicate was apparently so powerful that God in Genesis 11 was forced to scatter and, quote, confuse the unified language of the time because the people had united with one language with the goal to, again, quote, build a city with its tops in heaven, Genesis 11.4. Apparently, the unified language of the people of the time had such power that God had to come in and intervene to keep these people from advancing too far in their pride-riddled plan of what they believed in their own minds become like God. From very early on in creation history, the powerful gift of communication was already being used for very sinful purposes. And I reference this story today because it helps set the foundation for what James is going to tell his audience about the power and dangers of the spoken word. As alluded to in the story of the Tower of Babel, human speech is in fact a very, very powerful thing. And James does not want his audience to miss the immense power that each of us holds in the use of our tongues. For our tongues hold the potential of enacting great good or great evil. And in the beginning verses of chapter 3 of his book, James takes a new Poseidian approach in displaying to his audience their need to rest in the power of God for both proper living and also for the salvation of their souls. As we look to understand the context of James chapter 3, we must always remember to keep in front of us to look at this passage in the context of James' entire message 
throughout his book because there is much repetition in what James is doing. There is a structure to his book and to his complete message in all five chapters. Remember at the foundation of James's message is the theme of how we, as true and genuine Christians, are to properly live on this earth in the midst of our trials and tribulations. We must keep in our minds that James is both a book of perspective, why we can, should consider our trials and tribulations as joy, and a book of practical action, as James consistently weaves together these two often unrelated concepts of perspective and practice. Similar to his previous sections, James is going to tactfully show, through this passage, our need to live properly and our need to fully rely on the power of God in order to do so. And the analogy that James finds most fitting, as he begins chapter 3, is the power that the people of God, all people in fact, have in the use of their tongues. So far in his epistle, James has shown to us two broad characteristics of the mature Christian. One, he is patient and wise in the midst of trials and tribulations, chapter 1. And two, he practices the truths of God in a practical way through his actions, primarily chapter 2. In chapter 3, James is going to begin a new section on one of the most practical and tangible markers of the mature Christian, the use of their tongue. Remember, James was talking to a community of God's people that were apparently missing the mark on how the Christian life should be lived out practically with one another. Hence, James's emphasis on works throughout his book and his continual focus to come back to the need to do such works. But as we have learned... James has at least two different layers in his teaching. The direct application of what is being said on the surface, but also the deeper application of what is being implied through what he says. It's a, it's a very interesting approach that James has. And if it wasn't for taking the time to go through and study that, it's very easy to miss that in James. And I think that's why a lot of people look at the surface and say, James is just giving us all sorts of works to do. But there's so much more to James, and that's why it's so careful to look carefully at exactly what James is saying. Because chapter 3's focus on taming the tongue is going to give us even further insight into this, again, Poseidian approach, the flipping of these things, and also the deeper levels of what James intends. In chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I found it very odd and somewhat troubling to have to preach on that very thing because that is exactly what I am doing is I am teaching underneath that judgment that James says but that's kind of the point point. and James's audience apparently many of these individuals many scholars believe um, very much desired to be teachers but it is believed that they had the wrong desires in desiring to teach James begins chapter 3 by warning his struggling audience about the dangers that exist in the teaching positions within the church. James has already spent the first two chapters of his book both exhorting and rebuking his audience on how they were living. And in the first verses of the third chapter, James pointedly says to the congregation that, quote, not many of them should aspire to become teachers. Remember, this is not the first time that James mentions the need for caution in the use of one's tongue. As he begins chapter 3, in verse 119, he told his audience that they should, quote, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Again, in 126, he said to the congregation, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, 
this person's religion is in fact worthless. And so James in chapter 3 is now fully fleshing out this idea and practically showing why the lack of bridling one's tongue is in fact so destructive. Primarily because the words that come out of the mouths of believers will be judged. Even more so the one who desires to be a teacher within God's church. Their judgment will be even stricter. And what will such teachers be judged more strictly on? Ultimately, their words. The things that they say with their tongues. James tells the, James tells the people that those who teach will be judged more strictly based on the things that they say from a place of authority within the church. Hence, hence why the added judgment and strictness is there. For to err, brothers and sisters, in the things taught to the people of God, to err in this area is an extremely, extremely dangerous thing. For those who teach, teach as a direct representative of God's very word. It's one thing to perhaps say the wrong thing to a friend, or to a group of people, or even to say the wrong thing to a large audience. But to speak to the people of God within His church, and to do so inappropriately, is an extremely grave error. For James says very pointedly that such individuals will be judged more strictly. This judgment, it seems, applies on two levels. Secondarily, these teachers will be judged more strictly by their audience within the church. But primarily and most importantly, these teachers will be judged more strictly by the righteousness of God. For God does not take lightly the truth of His Word and how His Word is taught within His most holy church. What a tragedy it is when churches degrade and distort the word of God from the pulpit. And such distorted teachers, James assures us, will be judged under the perfect law of God. Notice, though, that James includes himself in this category when he says that, quote, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James uses the phrase we, we who teach. James understood that he was also underneath this level of judgment. James knew what was at stake to be a teacher of God's word. And he carefully warned the people that they should use extreme caution when desiring to take on such positions. Because as James tells us in verse 2, for we all stumble, referring more specifically to speech, but more in a general sense as well, we all stumble in many ways. James begins to move away from his warning to teachers and begins to explain his broader application to all the people of God on the power and dangers of one's tongue. He specifically addresses the teacher for their specific use of words, but then addresses everybody because we all speak, we all use words, and that's what James wants us to see ultimately. Continuing in verse 2, we read, For if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Here again, we see James's paradoxical approach in, in teaching. The man who can control his tongue, in fact, is the man who has mastered his whole body. Master the tongue, therefore, be a master of the whole body. So the message we receive in just the first two verses in James 3, when summarized, would go something like this. If anyone desires to be a teacher, they should consider it very, very carefully because they will be judged very, very strictly on the things that they say. And oh, by the way, no man or teacher is able to perfectly control his tongue. Only a perfect man can do that. 
At first, that sounds like one of the worst possible advertisements in calling people to teach God's word. You're going to be judged incredibly strictly by both God and man for the use of your tongue. And don't worry, you're going to mess up along the line and will be judged incredibly strictly by both God and man. But see, that's the thing about James. As we go, it's often James's main points they're made in the irony of his points. That's the thing that's kind of so incredible about the book of James. Because as James tells us, no man is perfect, but one man is perfect. And it is through the perfection of the one man that good teachers can and do exist. For James tells us that we are all sinners. We all stumble in many ways. This point has been made very clear in the last few chapters. But here James specifically points to the fact that all men will stumble in what they say. Only the perfect man, Christ himself, does not err in this area. In all of human history, there's only been one person who did the work of God perfectly. And that one person was the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, brothers and sisters, in all of his entire epistle, James' second layer of his teaching is constantly giving the message for our need. For our need for Christ. Only in Christ can we have confidence in the midst of our trials and tribulations. Only in Christ can we truly love our neighbor as ourselves. Only in Christ can our faith become a faith of action. And only in Christ are our tongues ever able to even be remotely tamed. I do not want to get too far ahead of myself in the progression of this sermon, but there it is. This is really the main point of today's passage. In fact, this really is the main point of James's entire book. That only in Christ can we do anything. The more I study the book of James, the more crazy I find it that some people criticize this book as being overly focused on works or too legalistic. Because that cannot be further from the truth. James wants us to fully understand and appreciate this teaching. This is why in the following verses, James really, really drives home the point with several extremely visual and applicable examples about the true power of the tongue and man's ultimate inability to tame the tongue outside of the power and work of Christ. Really, that's what James has been leading us to in all these chapters, is to show our absolute need for Christ to do any of the things. There's a bit of a repetition. Here's what you must do, but you can't do it, but Christ can. Here's what you must do, but you can't do it, but Christ can. And he repeats this in a couple different ways. Again, this is why James says at the end of verse 2 that if a man is able to control his tongue, he has in fact learned to bridle his whole body. For this word bridle had a very clear meaning to the audience, as the congregation would have immediately envisioned that of a horse with a bit in its mouth. In verse 3, James says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. A bit in the mouth of a horse is the first of several examples that James will give us about the amazing power of the tongue. The horse is an incredibly large and powerful animal, yet with a small piece of metal placed in its mouth, the bit, the entire horse is able to be controlled and directed. In verse 4, James gives us a second example when he says to his readers, Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot, or the captain, directs. A ship is even larger and even more powerful than a horse, 
yet the entire ship is directed and controlled by a proportionately small rudder. The rudder is what directs and controls the entire direction of the ship. James wants us to really visualize these two examples. James is, in fact, very visual in his, in his teaching methodology. And even though we are in a totally different time, in a different context, a different culture, even in our world today, these two examples, they still have profound implications, even in our minds. Think about it. Think about a horse with a bit in its mouth. Even if we don't ride horses, which most of us don't, we've seen this before, whether it's on movies or in front of us. We place something into a horse, and its entire body is able to be directed. A very small piece, very, very small piece, is placed in its mouth, and the entire horse can be directed at will. Maybe even a more profound example is a ship, a massive ship, and how it's directed and controlled by a single rudder. Everything on this ship, on this ship and sometimes these ships can carry thousands of people, and it's a single rudder that is the fate of exactly where that ship will turn or not turn. Therefore, in light of these examples, in the first uh, part of uh, verse 5, we see that the tongue is a small member, James says, similar to a a bit or a rudder, yet it boasts of great things. It has great power. A small bit, a small rudder, and look at the power that those small pieces have. The points that James wants us to see in these examples are not difficult It's not hard to to understand what James is getting at. We see the visuals that he's giving us, and we understand their application. Our tongue, though small, has great power. Our tongue, though a small piece, has great power. And just to be clear, when James references the tongue, he is referencing ultimately our speech and our ability to communicate. Words, in fact, are a very powerful thing. That's true of all Scripture. In fact, this is the word of God. And it is the word of God that upon which all existence hinges. It was by the words of God that the heavens and the earth were made. It was by the words of God that his covenants were communicated to mankind. And it is by the words of man, by our words, that we are able to confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord. Unfortunately, due to our sinful nature, this great power that has been bestowed upon us And the use of our tongues is often used for sinful purposes, often with very damaging results. And we've seen that from the very beginning pages of Scripture. God gave the gift of communication, and very quickly it was used for sinful sinful purposes. Next in verse 5, the second part of verse 5 into verse 6, we read, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, James says. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. It's quite the extreme example. James does not have a very positive view of the tongue in this this instance. But again, he's trying to make a point. He's trying to make a point. Do you remember, church? I'm quite certain that you will. The large fire that took place here back in the hills of Hemet only a few months ago, I definitely remember because it was right behind my house. And I remember that just as we were leaving from our driveway, we came around and as we were pulling out, we saw what looked to be some smoke coming up from the hills behind our house. 
We'd seen smoke before, we'd seen fires before, but this small amount of smoke went up and very quickly became larger and larger. Within minutes, this small plume had become really a torrential brush fire as it rushed up the hill. It began quickly sweeping up and over the hills, even to the other side. It was absolutely astonishing to watch how quickly and violently a fire like that was able to grow and to decimate its surroundings. And it was a very destructive fire. It was a truly amazing sight to see so close up. I remember each night going out and and looking and seeing how far this fire would spread and it would go this direction and go that direction. But when it had the right conditions, how quickly it spread was almost the most astonishing thing of, of how it could go from one area next thing you know that whole hill was just lit on fire. One of the most amazing things about it was, of course, its destruction, but the, the, the quickness that it was able to do. But most, I think, amazing of all is when I thought about that in light of this example, that it all started from a single spark. One single spark and thousands and thousands, and there's been obviously much bigger fires in other parts of the country and the world. Millions of acres can all stem from a single spark. So it is, James wants us to understand with our tongues. The words that we say are able to have a massive impact and cause great destruction when left unchecked. We have to keep that visual in our minds about one word and the damage it can do, one phrase, one thing that can be said. Because James uses a very, very vivid example in bringing about this point. James tells us that through the power of the tongue, the entire body becomes stained by its effects. And this is very similar to what is recorded in Matthew 15, 10 through 11, when Christ states, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that, in fact, is what defiles them. The damaging effects of sinful words do not just spread to defile the man's body either. They spread to all aspects of life itself, and they are, as James says, set on fire by hell. It is through words that evil men suppress truth, as men use their tongues and threats and other pressures to prevent truth from being known. Evil rejoices in promoting even greater evil, As men use their tongues to express their pleasure in wrong and sinful things, evil deceives and gets great uh, pleasure in giving false impressions and false distortions. And men of evil, men of evil, they love to use their tongues to deceive and to harm. Many scholars have disagreements on exactly how the phrase setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell should best be interpreted. As the Greek is complex and the, the statements uh, are, are a bit broad. But the context, again, the context of James helps us very much in gaining the general understanding of this phrase. However, we choose to interpret it, and there are some small nuances. When the tongue is used for evil, it's very bad news. The main point is still easily understood that the evil one is intimately working through evil words to spread lies, deceit, and false teachings. Evil men, love the use of evil words, and the evil one uses falsehoods and false statements to spread his lies. Remember that it is with words that Satan himself tempted Christ, and it is with words that man communicates his disbelief and his even, even his hatred of God he uses words to do this. And when a, quote, forest fire is set ablaze by the evil Uh, use of one's tongue, we know that the power of hell and the schemes of the evil one are always advancing and working to push such evil. 
James give us, gives us somewhat of an extreme and visual example as he wants us to, uh, to come away with a very clear and powerful illustration of just how detrimental the tongue can be when used for the wrong things. We think of that statement, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That works great when you're in sixth grade and need to make sure that you're not taking things too personally. It works horribly in the application of what James is really saying. In fact, words are an amazingly, amazingly powerful thing and should be used very, very cautiously. James goes on to say in in verses 7 through 9, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, they can be tamed. And they have been tamed by mankind. But no human being, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. You have to understand, James is making some extreme examples. Think about how many different examples he's, he's making. And think about how extreme these examples are. It's hard to think of something that could be more destructive than a fire. Yet this is what James likens the use of a tongue to. Verse 9, with it, our tongue, he's referring to, with it we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Do you remember what the original task of man was when Adam and Eve were first put into the garden? It's one of the first things that's talked about in Scripture. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. So be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue the earth. Control the earth. And man was able to do those. We filled the earth. Even in our sinful effects, we still filled the earth. And we were able to subdue the earth. Very, very much so. Because we did just that. Look at how far we've come in really subduing all things on this planet. In fact, we're getting so bored with that that we're looking to other planets out now in outer space because we've become so advanced in this area. But even with all that power and all that technology, the advancements of man, still none of us have been able to subdue the sinful effects and power of the tongue. For no man can tame the tongue, James says. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. James's point, again, being quite clear, not only is the tongue immensely powerful, it is also untamable. For with the tongue, man is able to both bless the God of the universe, one of the most noble things that we can do with our tongue, and man will also curse his neighbor, one of the most damaging things that we can do with our tongue. As James goes on to say in verses 10 through 12, from the same mouth come blessings and curses. My brothers, these things not ought be so, James says. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Listen to some other select passages in Proverbs. Again, Proverbs 18.4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom flowing from a brook. Proverbs 10.11, the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. Proverbs 13.4, the law of the wise is a foundation of life to depart from the snares of death. These passages from Proverbs 
when connected also with the original Proverbs read at the beginning of the sermon, parallel what James has written and underscores the importance and the use of using our words for good and not for evil. If something has the power to do great evil, by its antithesis, it has power to do great good. James wants us to see both sides of that spectrum. And just as we can only serve one master, Matthew 6.24, so too can our tongues only be used for one purpose, either for good or for evil. Either for good or for evil. Have you ever thought about this before, church? When I thought about it in the stark contrast that James was making, I, I went from being moderately convicted by James 3 to very, very much convicted by James 3. The things that I say, some people, you come across and they just seem to have a better reign on their tongue. You know, they're just very selective. God gave them brains. They can like sit there, think about it, and they like craft like three words and it's profound. And I've always aspired to be that. I'm aspiring in that area. James really encouraged me in that. But as we think about it, every word that we say, it really only can fulfill one of two purposes. You are either advancing the kingdom of God and promoting good, or you are doing damage or harm. There is no in-between. There is no in-between. Your words either work to build and advance the kingdom, or they don't. Your words either build up, or they tear down. Your words are either godly, or they are ungodly. This is, again, very convicting that James gives us as we contemplate the power and use of our tongues. And so, just as a fresh stream must only produce fresh water, a fig tree can only produce figs, an olive tree can only produce olives, and the mouths of Christians ought only to produce fruit that comes from the power of their lips. James concludes this section by giving yet again another very stark contrast about how a Christian should use his or her tongue versus how the world uses its tongue. Listen to the words that Jesus gives in Matthew 12, 32-37. Again, I'm going to read from Matthew 12, 32-37 in response um, to the evil words. Jesus is giving a response here to the evil words of the depraved Pharisees that he's addressing. But listen very carefully to what Jesus has to say about the power of the tongue in this passage. Matthew 12, starting in verse... uh, Actually, I'll start here in verse 33. Make a tree good... And its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. If uh, you do any study of the Greek, that was a very, very direct, almost harsh, very intense thing that, that Jesus said to them. To us, that doesn't sound so intense, but if you look it up in the Greek, it's a very, very powerful statement that he says to them. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, and a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So much is packed into that verse, I encourage you to go back and to look at it in more detail of what is being said here. But it's the same concept. That which is in your heart will come out. And our mouth is a way of seeing what is stored in the heart. What you store in the heart is what comes out of the mouth. And 
Even more profound than that, what Jesus is saying is that it is by our very words that we'll be acquitted and by our very words that we'll be condemned. Remember, it is with our mouth that we're able to confess that he is Lord. It is with our mouth that we're able to deny that we believe in Christ. It is the power of words, church. They have the ability to lead to being, again, acquitted or being led into condemnation. Therefore, we must, with great diligence, take care in the use of our tongue. And we can only do this by attending to the gardens of our hearts. James doesn't use the word or the phrase heart, but it's implied all throughout. What we store in our hearts is what's going to come out. What we store in our hearts is going to dictate how we respond to our trials. What we store in our hearts is going to dictate when we have strangers come into the church. What we store in our hearts is going to dictate how we respond to one another. What we store in our hearts is going to be seen by others by what comes out of our mouth. Because at the verse... At the end of verse 12, James leaves the reader with the understanding that he is in a desperate place of need when it comes to obtaining the ability to tame this restful evil called the tongue. James will go on in the second part of chapter 3 to tell us exactly how we can correct this issue of the untamable tongue, because he does give us a solution. He already has, but he more further fleshes that out. And as a foreshadowing for the next sermon, James's solution will be an answer that we've seen already a few times up to this point in the book. For James will tell us that our solution is, in fact, the wisdom that comes from God. In other words, the solution is Christ. The solution is always Christ. But James will tell us that in more detail. Um, but we'll have to wait till next time when we address James 3, 13 through 18 in more detail. And so as we begin to merge to a conclusion for today's sermon on James 3, 1 through 12, we will look at four points of reflective application. Four points of reflective application. Point number one. Point number one. Careful those of you who desire to become teachers. Verses one through two. Careful those of you who desire to become teachers. James starts out chapter three with this. It's a very pointed statement. We do need to make sure we make application to it. Because to err in our words to a friend, brothers and sisters, can have pretty severe consequences. We talked about that. To err in what you say to a large audience, this can have consequences that could last for years. To say the wrong thing in front of a group of people or to an audience. To say the wrong thing and then have it placed somewhere on the internet, that can have consequences that would span decades. Get something on the internet, good luck on ever getting it off. But to teach the wrong thing to the people of God, this can have eternal consequences. James, in bringing about his point, our need for Christ makes it very clear that those who desire to teach within God's church should count this cost very, very carefully. For teachers within the church will be judged more strictly, both by man and by God. But it is the judgments of God that we should be most, most concerned about. And it is only through Christ that any of us are even able to breathe out a single word, much less a good word. All of us stand condemned by our words. All of us have erred in how we use our tongues. And just as husbands and wives will be judged differently based upon their specific roles of what God called each of them to do in the pages of Holy Scripture, so too will teachers within God's church be called to a stricter standard when they stand before God. If you desire to teach, brother, then pursue this desire with great humility and with continual prayer. Let those around you be the ones to confirm your calling so that you may be certain, you must be certain, you may be certain 
And in due time, the Lord will raise you up when and how he finds fit. Point number two. Always be diligently aware of the damaging power of the tongue. Always be diligently aware of the damaging power of the tongue. Though teachers of the word will be judged more strictly according to James, all of God's people will have to give an account on the use of their tongues in this life. Every one of us. James wants to make it very clear that we understand the potentially catastrophic power that the tongue possesses. Think about, again, these examples that James used. A bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a ship, and a wildfire that began from a single spark. Brothers and sisters, your words can be used to build up or be used to tear down, to encourage or to demoralize, to love or to hate. If you are not exercising great caution in the use of your tongue and not cultivating and tending to your heart, then you are causing damage with your tongue. There's no way around it. It's as simple as that. When we use our tongues, it does one of two things, and we must learn to use it for good because the power for the tongue to do damage is always ever so present. So do not go about each day being careless with this amazing, powerful tool that God has given you, for you too will be judged on how you use this great gift. And the words that you speak even today have the potential to change the world for the better or for the worse. So carefully guard your heart so that the words that you speak will produce fruit and not judgment. Point number three, remember that no man can tame the tongue perfectly. Verses seven through eight. Remember that no man can tame the tongue perfectly. Lest we fall into the error that some have made when they claim that the teachings of James's book is overly legalistic and works-based, we must recognize the clear teaching that no man is able to tame the tongue perfectly. In other words, we are all sinners. James is very aware that we all fall short in this area and no man should expect that he will be able to do this task perfectly. In other words, we can't read James and think that we can attain this perfection. It's unattainable in this life. Most of us can probably think of multiple instances within the last 24 hours where we have erred in the use of our tongues. I know that I can. And so we must recognize that we all have fallen short in this area and I presume this is a large reason for why within the model that Christ gave us for prayer lie the phrase, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Church, have you sinned against another brother or sister in Christ? Well, it's very likely that if you have, the sin in some way, shape, or form involved the use of your tongue. And so make it right. Go to those whom you have sinned against and seek forgiveness, for this is what we are called to do in Christ, as Paul exhorts us in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And this brings us to our final application point for today, point number four. Only in Christ can the tongue be tamed. Only in Christ can the tongue be tamed, verses 9 through 12. James says in verses 9 and 10, With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing. My brothers, James says, these things ought not be so. These things ought not be so. Our tongues, church, 
have the first and foremost priority of bringing praises to our God and speaking the truth to one another in love. This is found in multiple pages, especially in the New Testament. Our tongues were created with a purpose, and that purpose was for the glory of God. But sin has distorted and corrupted our speech. Words from our mouths are now tainted with evil and slander and manipulation and self-centeredness. And this list could go on and on. But this, oddly enough, and the irony of James, is exactly what he wants us to conclude. James wants us to see how hopeless and sinful we truly are. Because by doing so, and by bringing attention to our inability to control the wickedness of our tongues, it shows us in a very practical need, our need for something greater outside of ourselves. It shows us our need for a Savior. Mankind has conquered so much, but we cannot master ourselves. The effects of sin are still there, and they are very prominent in our speech. And so we need Christ, brothers and sisters. I need Christ. Those who are in the world, their only hope is in Christ. And our inability to tame our own tongues, even, is a testament to that truth. Because in Christ, in Christ, we in fact become new creations. In Christ, the untamable tongue becomes slowly tamed. Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4.4 And so let us turn to Christ, confessing our sins to God and to one another as we continue to sojourn with one another on this earth using our tongues to build up one another, all to the glory and praise of Christ our Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, use this very amazing and complex gift that God has given to us, this thing that we call communication. Use it carefully. Use this gift with love. Every time we open our mouths, we are literally able to change the world for the better or for the worse. In Christ, let us use this amazing gift of communication to further His kingdom, And in doing so, may the kindness and tactfulness of our words be a testament to the transformative power of Christ, all in hopes of drawing others into the kingdom of God. As Paul exhorts us in Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer all men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you for Christ. Thank you for James's message to us today that reveals in just another way our great need for you, our great need for Christ. We all need help in this. Help us, Lord, to tame our tongues. As we grow in wisdom and in you and as we cultivate our hearts, Lord, goodness is able to come out of us. Goodness is able to come out of our mouths. May we be very aware, Father. May we not use our tongues, Lord, unwisely, but may we use them with wisdom. Help us all to do this, Lord. Help us all to live to the glory of your most holy name. For it's in Christ and only through Christ that we pray these things. Amen.